The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the virtual CISO moment and to the first episode of 2023. And this is also the first episode of season five. We've got Dave Evangelista here with us. He is a vice president of information technology for a Midwest credit union. He has 20 years in banking and 24 years in, uh, in law enforcement. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Greg. It's a pleasure to be on your uh, show today. I appreciate it. So as we always start off, um, we're going to do the same format this year. If you could walk through your career, you've got a varied career, and, and that's part of the reasons why we wanted to talk today, both not only the IT side, but the law enforcement side. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to um, just kind of run that down because it could be a little confusing. Um I started out in banking, uh, then I decided uh, I had that itch that I wanted to get into law enforcement. So I, I quit a rather good paying job in IT and decided to go be a cop um, against a better judgment of some of my peers. Uh, I did the work for about six years uh, and then I went to a part-time status. But in that time, I maintained about well, probably about an 80 to 90 hour work week. I was working full time back in IT again and then in law enforcement, but in the cyber area. Um, in 1998, I founded the United States Internet Crime Task Force, which was a 501c3 made up of police officers all over the world. I had about 50,000 officers in that organization at one time. And we focused mostly back then on uh, crimes against children, uh, internet predators, and so on. And then from there, uh, as the FBI's teams, they got better at what they were doing. Uh, they were more, more connected. We kind of stepped back and let them uh, drive that train. And then we went into more of an, an education and awareness around information security uh, and trying to help individuals pretty much secure their home wireless. We wrote some one 101 level guides on how to do that and then we were doing a little bit of advocacy work in grant writing and that kind of thing the organization still exists today though it's uh, pretty silent at this point and i do get some requests from time to time to help uh, law enforcement with forensics we're still a law enforcement assist agency in kentucky mm -hmm. and uh, so that's kind of where it, it got me i retired 24 years as a patrol officer um and uh can't say it was a bad choice. Uh, it's really served me and, and the community well. I would imagine that probably having the law enforcement, um, I don't know if I want to use the word mentality, but just that experience and all that, how, how has that influenced your, your IT career? Yeah, I think, um, well, you know, the old saying is if you want to catch a crook, you got to think like a crook. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think for me, it's given me a different perspective. The blinders come off a little bit when you're looking at situations a little more uh, objectively. You're, you're kind of thinking what the angle may be and then applying your skills and training to that. Um, of course, you always follow the money. That's that's really the big deal. Uh, that's the whole end game. If they're, if they're selling information, uh, then then that's what you want to do is follow that, follow that bread line. But for me, I think just having that law enforcement experience gives me the ability to approach situations in a calm, very calculating manner. 
um, making sure that we try not to overlook some of the small details. So having that experience generally helps out when you're dealing with incident response, you have a little more structured because most of the time, let's face it, organizations, uh, they don't, they lack some of those skill sets uh, in forensic gathering. They may not realize what might be necessary to collect or preserve. And so it's good to have that fresh perspective when you're coming into a business situation and you can kind of guide and advise. Oh, absolutely. Like you mentioned incident response. The uh, I know that there can be opportunities, if you will, to do more damage than good if you've got good intentions and you're starting to investigate uh, a security incident, an IT security incident, but you actually end up either destroying or compromising evidence um, for breaking chain of custody, for example. Is, is that a correct statement? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, fruit of the poisonous tree, you know, if you're, um, if, if you're law enforcement coming in, there's certain there's certain guidelines they have to follow. Um, you need to make sure that even though you give them consent, um, my advice has always been when in doubt, get a search warrant. And this way you're covered. Um, it's not so much a search warrant because the organization you're working with requires it, but it's more or less to help aid in the prosecution. Like, did you obtain that information lawfully? We did. We got a search warrant. We obtained the information. Now there's no question that the information was uh, was obtained in a, in a proper manner. So those kinds of things to be mindful of, preservation of evidence, um, you know, not making sure that evidence on the PC is preserved for products like Encase and other types of forensic tools. You want to make sure that you're you're not doing a lot of your own diagnostics. If you feel like that, that, it, that particular piece of evidence needs to be examined further, it's best probably just to leave it alone, let somebody get into it forensically. And then after they're done and they've cloned it, you can come back through and do your, your secondary civil inspection of that data. What, what if... Um... I'm just sort of following that path for a little bit because mm. this can be a threat sometimes. But uh, what would be the best thing for for an organization to do if, if say, I, I know that sometimes law enforcement would say, leave the machine alone, just let it do its thing. But if the machine is compromised and it's causing issues within your corporate network, that's causing some business issues one way or the other, potential exposure of information. In fact, when you're faced as an IT person with the... Um, conundrum of do I disconnect this from the network or not? What's what's best practice for that? Well, I think it depends on what the system is that's being impacted. Clearly, if it's your exchange server, then you've got you've got a different level of approach. If it's just an end user, uh, you know, you, you just you, you pull the uh, Ethernet cord and uh, you just pull the power plug. You don't even shut down. You just pull the plug mm. um, simply because you don't if, if there's a malware that's installed that has invoked some shutdown procedure cleaning and, uh, you know, uh, some backdoor kind of uh, log covering, then then you want to be able to just pull the plug, shut it right down, leave it alone, uh, give the new use, give the user a new PC and start over and just pretty much collect that piece of evidence. If it's a server, uh, I think you have to be a little more tactful in your business continuity plan. And I think that your incident response plan absolutely needs to be thinking about how you're going to respond to critical systems, especially if your systems, like in our particular case, they're replicated. Uh, so you're replicating your problem. And so you need to be mindful that, yeah, you might have one data center, but you might have that problem replicated across the board. So it's important to have snapshots for known times in history and 
things like that that you can recover back to make sure you have good um, point of recovery objectives uh, for your for your organization. Yeah, that's a very good point about the replication too. I wasn't thinking about that, but that's a good mm-hmm. point. Um, unique perspective. We're talking about law enforcement and also being in financial services. Um, you, what would you think from your unique perspective right now would be um, the most significant information security threat to um, community institutions, banks, and credit unions? Yeah, I think in the heightened uh, season of, of, of buying and gift giving, we see a lot of retail activity going on. Um, certainly credit card skimming is, is one that is, it's an age old, um, really fast way to get credit card information. I think we're getting smarter in that area with additional controls, um, really phishing, uh, attacks are targeted spear phishing attacks are really something that you see a lot in organizations. Um, and I think it's really important to make sure that you have good user education because your, your largest threat, your insider threat, Mm -hmm. your, your folks that have just absolutely the best intention, but they're just duped. Um, you know, when you have campaigns that, that are run uh, internally um, and you target your, your team and you get those click-throughs and you just have to make sure that they're educated and aware. Um, I always joke that you potty train them at gunpoint, right? <laughs> so, but it's, uh, it's, it's something that's going to happen and they're going to target. And also text message uh, phishing, you know, targeted uh, text messaging is something that we're seeing now too. Like, hey, this is the CEO. I need you to uh, send me some gift cards. <laughs> Those types of things. Uh, you know, you see that in all the time. And believe it or not, as corny as that may sound, uh, there are some people that really just fall to that mm-hmm. uh, because they just want their their pleasers and they want to make sure they're doing the right thing. And you know, they they feel like that's their obligation. Uh, so. It's important to have really good educational campaigns, and you're testing those um, routinely. Yeah, and you brought up a good point that I wanted to emphasize. When talking about insider threat, more often than not, that doesn't mean intentional maliciousness. It's mm-hmm. it's just, as you were saying, the, the employee is doing what they think that they're supposed to be doing. They're trying to be the pleaser by taking care of that, or they're just... they're they're human and they click on a link. And so that's mm-hmm. why, to your point about training, it's so important to run those phishing exercises to, to help build that muscle memory so that they see something. And even if it looks really good, they stop and say, wait, 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 this doesn't make any sense. Why, why are they asking me to do this? They've never asked that before. Mm-hmm. So, well, I know beforehand, uh, before we started recording too, we, we've talked a little bit about physical security and mm-hmm. ways that physical security can be um, abused or, or, um, or just worked around. Uh, one of the things that, that I really like is, um, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I, I got one of these little uh, flipper zero things. And one of the first things I did with it was I cloned my key fob for my office space here and successfully I'm able to use this to get in. Um, But there are so many things that you can do with it. Uh, Just for example, I was watching a video on denial of service for 
um, a car key fob, because apparently car key fobs nowadays, they rotate the frequency. And if you clone your frequency and then try it again, then the car knows that you're trying to use a frequency or a code that was used before, it'll lock itself out. So you could DDoS somebody just walk into their vehicle if you happen to be near them with one of these things. What do you see is like um, some real dangers with regards to physical security in the, um, in the RF um, and other uh, frequency space? Yeah, very, uh, very interesting conversation. And you, you, we only have 15 minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> 15 to 25, um, we're doing fine. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so jamming attacks, um, uh, and from, you know, which is what you're talking about, DDoS and jamming, um, more or less an inconvenience uh, factor um, to because rolling codes do change on some of the newer cars, they do have a little bit better um, technology deployed to prevent um, remote spoofing, but it is still possible. Replay attacks is what they call that. And, you know, if you have a device readily accessible, like the Flipper Zero, which is a couple hundred dollar uh, device that you go online, you buy it, and you go through some some user training. And um, next thing you know, you're, uh, you know, you're Jason Bourne and you're, you know, stealing cars and <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, you not know, why not I got simple. it though. I'm not stealing. Yeah, cars, yeah, just to... <laughs> yeah. It's it's just not that simple. Uh, GPS spoofing, replay attacks, things like that. That that device works really well for. I think that's more of an experimental. You have some range limitations. There's a really decent antenna in in the upper right hand side of that circuit board on that particular device that gets you some pretty good range. Mm-hmm. Um, what you really should be mindful of is uh, it, if you're looking at physical security, right? And that's most facilities that are more modernized have proximity card readers. Uh, you'll have a prox card that you'll come up and you'll you'll beep into the building and uh, that'll get you pretty much access into the facility. Um, I know the alarm in my building here, I've got an RFID that will allow me to disable the alarm when I walk in. I just tap it onto the panel and, I'm, and my alarm is disarmed. Mm-hmm. So those are all IOCs uh, that you have to be mindful of uh, that, you, you know, if, if somebody gets a hold of your keys with a flipper zero, they can they can replicate, they can read that RFID and store it and then come back and then play it back later. They've got access to the front door and your. Oh, alarm. yeah. And 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 the amount of time that it takes to do that is is virtually like a second. If you stepped away from your office second. and second. somebody like me had this, I, I could I could mm-hmm. you wouldn't know. Which, which makes it so much more important for people to just be mindful of where they're keeping their keys and their other um, cards and all of that. I, I think that the general public probably doesn't realize just how easy it is to do th- those sorts of things. Well, they talk about having RFID wallets, mm-hmm. uh, things like that, that prevent people from being able to be near you or in proximity of you to steal that RFID. Um, but that would be a pretty targeted uh, attack on a particular individual. Like you would be, you would be staking that person out, finding out where their travel habits are. We know that Dave goes to McAllister's on Tuesdays. He he sets his keys on the table. I walk up and I read it real quick. You know that kind of thing. This is a Microsoft Surface Duo Two, uh, which has integrated NFC reader, um, and I can actually read and write to an NFC card with this particular device. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an ordinary cell phone. Android has that capability. Um, so does Apple. Um, but more more particularly is long range reading of those particular things. And this is a software defined radio or an SBR. I know it's a little hard to read with the blur here, but this basically is a USB device 
that plugs into your computer <clears throat> with some software and it will scan a wide range of frequencies from very low megahertz into the gigahertz bands. Uh, this is a receive only device, but it can actually receive broadcast radio all the way up to and including RFID device patterns. Uh, then there's devices like the Hack RF1, which is an actual transmitter. It's about the size of, I'd say, probably the size of an iPhone Pro Max, and it will actually send and receive data. So it can be used in conjunction with a targeted antenna. Uh, you could be in a car halfway across the parking lot. Um, used to make antennas like these out of Pringles cans. They're called a cantenna. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the the uh, Yago or Yagi? Yep, the Yagi. Yagi, Yagi, yes. I, um, actually, boy, you triggers just one little <laughs> memory. Way back, probably about 15, 17 years ago, I owned a mini farm. My wife, um, she had horses and one was going in, uh, was going to go into labor. And I'm like, I can rig up a, a, a basic webcam. And you have to remember back in like 2002, doing something like that, that was, that was hard. But yeah, mm -hmm. he used Pringle cans on both sides and uh, was able to massage it, get the signal. And we were able to sure. watch the, uh, the new uh, baby foal, uh, I guess that's redundant, um, from wherever we were at. <laughs> Right. And, and I've been a general class ham radio operator now for about 30 years. I thought you were going to say and you so, were a general class ham. but <laughs> I'm a, I am a ham, though, can you tell? Uh, but being, being in the amateur radio service, um, you know, I have access to a lot of that technology, a lot of radio technology, slow scan TV, those kinds of things. Um, POSAG decoders, which can decode. If you remember the old pager days, you'd have the two-way pagers, the Motorola pagers. I was reading pager texts, um, you know, it, it, that was so in the clear, unencrypted. It was it was crazy. You would, you could almost if you camped out with with a with proper equipment halfway across the parking lot, you know, you could read some pretty crazy stuff uh, in in some restricted areas. Uh, not saying that I did, but um, for testing I'm saying that obviously, very, you know, very very easy to yeah. do. But anyways, to your point, but with with targeted antennas and that R, the Hack RF one, for an example, you could be reading somebody using an RF device and then you can capture and then when when the coast is clear you replay that and the door opens and you're in and so they don't with the with the flipper zero you gotta kind of be pretty close right um so you know when you talk about physical security financial institutions you know they have uh protocols in place like you know no one person comes into the facility alone you circle the building you're looking for the spot the knot um you know they trim bushes down so if you see a guy with the hoodie, you know, uh, sitting on the bench, you know, it's probably not a good idea to, to <laughs> approach the building. Uh, yeah. it, it, but, you know, the, there, there is a risk there and the technology and the tools with things like the Raspberry Pi and other small little portable computing devices for under under hundred bucks, uh, you can be pretty damaging to a small organization. Um, and when I talk about wireless, um, the credit union that I am employed by, we deploy really high level uh, wireless defense technology uh, through like Meraki Air Marshal, which will actively attempt to shut down uh, spoof, you know, hotspots uh, to prevent man in the middle attacks, things like mm -hmm. that. So there's there's technology that you have to deploy, um, you know, in the financial space to help protect your members and your employees. Well, I, you got me thinking about 
You know, in information security, we have um, uh, clean desk um, protocols, which unfortunately right yep. now, if you can see behind me, I'm not exactly 100% clean desk right now, but it can't be, can't be read <laughs> through this. But um, I'm wondering about like the value of, of if someone knew what their RF environment was like. And, and mm -hmm. where I'm getting at is that, do you think that there's value in trying to create a clean RF environment? So that you're 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 sure of the signals that are in a particular um, um, critical area, and you've identified where each of the signals come from. Or am I like being too like Jason Bourne here? No, uh, Greg, you're you're spot on. It's called a side channel attack to view monitor traffic. So each particular, I don't, the best way to put it is. You can capture the pulses, the impulses on a t on a monitor screen, and with specific software like AirSpy or Tempest SDR, software like that, you can actually decode the pops and cracks that come out of that RF, and you can actually decode text. Mm -hmm. So you can see what somebody is typing. But again, relatively proximity based. Um, you know, if you're inside a facility uh, that's relatively secure, um, for an example, you're in you're in a controlled uh, banking branch, let's just say it's less likely that if somebody walked in with a laptop and they cracked that thing open in the lobby um, and they're, you know, doing whatever, there's there's more questions that are going to be asked. But if you're in a public facility or a public location, I would be really careful about what you're doing, um, you know, just because those those side channel attacks can be they can be deployed for those purposes. So to conduct RF, uh, I know the DOD is very big on no Bluetooth devices, no wireless devices, right. uh, even mice and keyboards. They frown on it. They've laxed back a little bit that you know on, over the years on that. But um, you know anything that uh, I mean, Marconi sent the first signal you know across the ocean you know with a you know with a carrier wave, and you know that's all in the air. If it's in the air, it's in the open. Yep. Uh, you know that's just the way it is. Yeah, and and I remember reading about that on the internet. So, um, but uh, um, gotta be true. Then. Gotta be true. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said so. You mentioned uh, early on in your career um, that at one point in time you were putting in um, eighty to ninety hours a week. Now, I, I, that got me thinking about how stressful that IT can be, and certainly law enforcement as well. Uh, I, I would imagine that over the course of your career you figured out a few ways on how you can decompress and get away because you can't be on constant stress level 24 by 7 by 365 you you would not be here today so so what's one thing that you do to help decompress yeah you know uh well first of all i've, I've ate many a share of pizza uh and slept on the, the floor of my data center um that's happened if you've been in it you realize you don't own it it owns you yes. and you have to have a healthy work-life balance uh greg um, and there's two ways to do that. One, you, you should have systems and technology in place, uh, a good seam sock tool that's, that's got the, you know, the shields are up when you're sleeping, right? The, the things that are watching the, the, uh, the edge while you can't, uh, make sure that those tools are, are well aligned or tested and ready to go. Uh, that gives you a little bit of a sense of security. It certainly keeps you up at night. And then uh, you just have to have a really good uh, hobby. Some some folks game and they do different things. Myself, I have uh, different hobbies. I'm still in the amateur radio community. I, I 
I like to, uh, I actually have a small business and I do laser engraving. Um, you know, so I, I, I tend to find ways to do that. I spend time with my family um, when I can and uh, really just try to allow myself to unplug from that and turn it off. Um, have faith in the people that you have working with you and for you so that you know that they're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and uh, you build your organization on trust, um, the trust principle. And, uh, and you just try to, you just try to address things as they come up with a clear level calm approach. Um, and, uh, keep your boss off CNN. (laughs) (laughs) Good words of wisdom, particularly the last one. So, so, uh, what are your future plans? Uh, For me, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm looking at, you know, the next decade for me, um, you know, having reached what I would consider to be the precipice of uh, a career path. You know, I've, I've worked my way from the service desk uh, to running wire, uh, you know, and networking and, and everything to the desk. And uh, now as in the IT administration and governance space, um, you know, I'd like to see myself grow and learn more about uh, the organizational um, process in, in the banking and finance space. You know, how, how is IT being used to leverage technology to make and enhance the lives of um, our members? And I, you know, I think for me, I would like to learn more about that. Uh, that's what I see myself doing in the next you know, 10 years. Uh, and then, you know, retire. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a very long career, um, you know, and, and uh, the wife and I are looking at, you know, down the road, what does the next 10 to 12 years look for us? And, um, you know, we're, we're just trying to put the money in the bank and Look forward to that golden opportunity to spend time with the grandkids. Awesome. Dave, it's been a fabulous conversation. Uh, I might have to come back and uh, talk to you in a little bit after I've learned a little bit more about this in the next few months because, um, again, I realize that this sort of thing and all that other stuff can be really dangerous. And you actually also triggered, I'm putting together a list of predictions. And I think that for 2023, because I've I've been asking other folks and been talking about that on the podcast, I think I just figured out one for 2023. But anyway, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It was a great kickoff for 2023. That's great, Greg. And I'm glad to be part of that. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you, sir. And stay secure.